thought skitters across your mind. No doubt the same thought currently crossing a lot of people's minds. Someone lied, or at least hid the truth. This is not the job you signed up for, and there's no time to react. Back up 60 seconds. Your three-day march has ended, finally. It's early morning, and the jingle-jangle of the bulky sack of coins strapped to your waist is sounding sweeter with every span you cross. A hefty down payment, to say the least. But you steal your mind and remind yourself that you aren't even quite halfway there. Still, you can't stop thinking about what you're going to do with the small fortune you'll have when the other half is placed in your hand. So far, the job's been a breeze, too. A conservation mission, as far as you know. Something about collecting samples from a nearby forest. They even brought an elven druid along to consult and oversee they don't take too much from the land. But that's not why you're here. You're here in case violence erupts. Orcs, goblins, bugbears, whatever sadistic creature the wilds can throw at you, you face it down before. But so far, your only purpose has been something akin to supporting simple peace of mind. You've hardly had to lift a finger, save the task of lifting a flask from hip to lips. A task you are now wishing you had performed about 60 seconds ago. Standing in front of a marvel of a tree, enormous and almost human-like, a small brigade of scholars, scouts, laborers, and mercenaries bustling about, you wish, when you first saw a quiver along the tree line, that you had thought something of it instead of nothing. When another shakes, you wish amid all the hustle of the axemen making their way to the forest that someone else had noticed as well. By the time you caught the blood-drained visage of the druid, his stare of awe and paralyzing terror, you heard only a loud whisper. It's an awakening. And the first stone had been cast. Literally, as a massive boulder comes flying out of the forest wall, striking with deadly accuracy. Crushing a cart with horses still hitched, rolling through no less than five or six people. Another, and another, and another as huge humanoid trees come lumbering out of the brush, swinging their long limbs wildly. Limp shapes of hired hands sailing across the grove. Deep, groaning war cries drowning out the panic of the camp. Time slows for a moment as you watch every bough and trunk in sight shake with unimaginable fury. And a thought skitters across your mind. No doubt the same thought currently crossing a lot of people's minds. Someone lied, or at least hid the truth. This is not the job you signed up for, and there's no time to react. Roll for initiative. Hey there, creatures, and welcome to Encounter This, a podcast exploration of the creatures from Dungeons and & Dragons and the lore that surrounds them. Before we get into this episode, I'd just like to take a minute to thank this week's sponsor, Libris Arcana. They offer a super affordable dice subscription service, as well as standalone polyhedral sets. I've been a subscriber since their inception, and I can say I really look forward to my set in the mail every month. Check them out at LibrisArcana.com. That's L-I-B-R-I-S-A-R-C-A-N-A.com. We'll have to start with the pronunciation. Uh, tree I, ants, tree I ants. believe. That's, how, yeah. that's what I have always called them. That's what I'm most comfortable calling them. I did a quick Google search just today, just to double check. And most people seem to agree that it's pronounced tree ants, even though it's an A. I would love to call it tree ants, but I feel like that's pretty Tolkienian. Yes, understandably so, as we'll get to. But uh, yeah, that's please don't the, sue us, Tolkien. <laughs> please please, please no. don't do it. We're your friends. Yeah, tree ants, tree ants, tree ants, tree ants. However you want to say it, it's your game at the end of the day. Original dialects aside, we are Canadian and we now pronounce it as treants. I feel comfortable making that statement for mm-hmm. all of Canada. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, the we're going to start, as usual, with the 5th edition lore. And uh, the lore on this goes way back to 1st edition. And it's full of shit. The TSR stuff? Uh, yeah, the TSR stuff. Gygax loves you, Token. Just give him hobbits. <laughs> Seriously. Let him have this so start, we'll start with the 5e official stuff, and then we will dive into the stuff I, I found out of Forgotten Realms Wiki. And in particular, a lot of it comes from a book called Elminster's Ecology, which was published by TSR in 1994. And it was meant to extend the lore of second edition. I, I don't want to make this episode take any longer, but can you give us a quick primer on TSR? Like for the listeners who have never heard of the pre You would know more about that than I would. Okay. <laughs> so no. Uh, 
Just for the listeners who don't know, TSR was the company formed by Don Kay and Gary Gygax in 1972, which is the precursor. Well, it was later on bought by Wizards of the Coast after it started to fall behind. But uh, it's crazy that trains go that far back. Yeah, no, they, TSR was essentially it was just meant to for them to find a way to publish the work and the the rules specifically. I think for for Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, because originally it was they were using the chainmail system, and then uh, Wilderness and Survival, I think, was the other game mm-hmm. for for Hexcrawls. Mm-hmm. Uh, in any case, uh, Elementary Psychology plays a huge role in in a lot of the lore that I found, uh, and it gets into some very specific biological parts, I suppose. Uh, and the ecology parts uh, appropriately. But starting with the 5e lore, um, tree ants are specifically awakened trees in ancient forests. They dwell for days, months, and even years in quiet contemplation, just sitting there, not doing a whole lot, just thinking. But they are fierce guardians of the forests, and uh, especially against outside threats. Uh, trees that are destined to become tree ants meditate for decades and sometimes even centuries before they realize their potential. The realizing of that potential is known as an awakening. And this also occurs under, or sorry, only occurs under special circumstances. Uh, I assume would be dictated by the DM. There wasn't any uh, mention of it in the monster manual. Or it can happen in a nature that is steeped in magic. Understandably, powerful druids and other treants can sense the potential of a tree and will spend a lot of time protecting them as they wait to become awakened. As far as physical description goes, there's not really a whole lot that is said in the monster manual. When they go through the process of awakening, they do start to form face, uh, legs, arms, uh, even before they wake up. Uh, the artwork in the Monster Manual specifically, you can note that I didn't notice it uh, the first time I had seen it, but uh, he's got three arms, essentially three branches that, that form into arms. So they're not limited to just a simple humanoid look. Uh, and when they're ready, they uproot and start protecting the forest with their fellow treants. Treants continue to grow even after they, after they awaken. I believe this is straight from the book. It's essentially, uh, even if they're created from the mightiest of trees, quote-unquote, they can achieve immense size and gain innate magical power and magical power over plants and animals, using those powers to ensnare or trap truders and even sending messages across great distances, which I imagine we might get into when we talk about the mechanics. Crazy. So how is a tree informed? How is, how is that made? It, again, it very specifically says under special circumstances or in a nature steeped in magic. So it has to be DM's discretion, essentially. Okay. They, they are specifically formed from a tree. You would kind of assume they're coming from a big, massive ancient tree, but it doesn't specify that. They can, and it can take anywhere from decades to centuries uh, of any kind, really. So Gotcha. So there's no like mechanical way that the players could make a tree ant or anything like that? Not as far as I found in any of the lore or any, especially the fifth edition like mechanics. Okay, cool. Yeah. So it's really open to interpretation. Uh, even after the awakening of a tree ant, uh, they will spend a long time just chilling as a tree. They just won't even uproot right away. They will just hang out. And, and while they're in this state, they are fully aware of their surroundings, though. And they can even sense effects taking place miles or kilometers away. Uh, outside forces who don't cause too much ruckus will, like, they won't be a, become a target of the ire of these tree ants, such as, like, woodcutters who don't go after great and healthy trees or hunters that take only what they need and no more. They're fine. But if you get greedy, you will definitely face their wrath, and especially those who would poison a forest or obviously are careless with fire. And especially, it said, I, I believe it used the word especially, someone who will fuck with a tree close to awakening. It didn't oh. say fuck. It did say especially. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and, well, spoilers for later on down the line, there, there is a creature that's not 5th edition owned. It's by Cobalt Press. That is when you fuck with that specific ritual that I'll, we'll, we'll talk about when we get into my experience with Oh, trans. sweet. <laughs> okay. I have no idea what that is. I uh, can't wait. Uh, you don't remember? I thought... Oh, did we enc- oh, was that the one we encountered? Yeah, oh, the Mandri- actually, yeah. Mandriano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no. You definitely still know more about that than I do. Okay, though, so cool. That, that's exciting. I don't think I ever got to the behind the scenes on that. Not too much anyway. No, that's a fun yeah. one. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Uh, as far as the relationship with other creatures go, obviously, uh, <laughs> definitely close with druids to a degree and uh, dryads and elves in general. Um, anything that's sort of would probably exist in the material world but has a, a relation to the fae. Um, some tree ants will be willing to allow whole communities of sprites even live among the branches. And that actually comes from the sprite entry in the monster really? manual. So uh, it's a little bit of a, a, a spoiler. I'm sure we'll cover sprites eventually. But yeah, they will allow whole communities, select communities, to just live amongst their trees. Oh, fuck. That's... 
This is why you listen to Encounter This, listeners. <laughs> Fuck, that's cool. This is why we read the Monster Manual, oh, man. It's so great. It's I wish so you cool. could see my face. The wheels are just firing on all cylinders. And now. I, now I can't wait to get to my experience because I very much used that when oh. I was in Australia with my crew. So <laughs> it was great. Uh, but that, that's basically most of it for the the fifth edition lore. Uh, from there, we get into, the, again, the Forgotten Realms wiki, and especially the second edition book for El, of Elminster's Ecology. And it covers specifically Cormanthor. Cormanthor? It's basically... Are we diving into Elminthor's ecol- ecology? Elminthor? Uh, Elminster. Elminster. Yes, yeah, okay, so Elminster. we're diving into Elminster's yeah, Ecology. An, and this is a supplement for AD&D? Uh, second edition, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Is, is second edition AD&D? I think, I think they're essentially the same. Write it and correct us very gently. I haven't done that be, much be delicate. <laughs> be delicate with those listeners. We are, for all intents and purposes, amateurs. <laughs> 5e, Doing our best. 4e, and 3.75e <laughs> is really where our experience yeah. lies. But in any case, Cormanthor, uh, in a lore sense, it used to be the seat of an elven empire, but it's largely abandoned. It is made up of four forests, the elven court, Semberholm, the Tangled Trees, and the Vale of Lost Voices. But... It's also divided into three uh, rough divisions based on the types of trees in the area. There's the Rimwood, which is mostly pine and is the least dense. Midwood, which is beech and ash, very dense and mostly unbroken canopy. And the Starwood, which is maple and oak mostly and is the most dense part. And then it goes on to describe what types of treants you will find in those sections of the wood. The Rimwood, you'll find birch-like treants, contrary to the the high pine population. They have very long roots used for reaching water underground. And their sap smelled of lemon and mint. That sounds delightful. It is delightful, isn't it? <laughs> I thought that was a nice touch. Midwood uh, had golden willow and black lotus uh, trance in appearance. Uh, they did, did not mention anything about the beech or ash that seems to be common in that area. Okay. Uh, their bark could be boiled to make gold or black dyes, respectively. And generally, they were passive, but were really quick to confront evil. And in the starwood, we had dark brown, oak, and gray elm for treants. No mention of maple. Half of them were peaceful like midwood. And the rest were quite hostile. And according to Elminster's ecology, the starwood contains so many potential enemies. This was why. They would basically attack first. And those are the hardest of the... If if I know my woods like I think I do, which I don't. Hmm. I think those are the two hardest woods you mentioned. So these are like treant barbarians. I would Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, they're, they're probably pretty damn tough. Yeah. If you ever run into a treant barbarian listener, just just use the disengage action and, and get the fuck out of there. Uh, it, my, I might have missed it earlier, but it just made me think of, I think in the Monster Manual, it's specifically, somewhere in my notes, it specifically says that a treant's uh, wood, oh, it's actually coming right here. <laughs> Never mind. In the general uh, idea of treants across Cormanthor, their wood would appear as solid stone. So yeah, they looked really hard and probably were extremely tough. Um, they have tubes that run through them that carry water to all the important parts of them, which I thought was really cool because it really gives like a, a really more humanoid, like they've got vital organs kind of. Yeah, uh, so we're idea. talking about legitimate anatomy structures here now. We're talking about like a vein, a, a vein, venular, venous, a venous system, venous? A system of veins. System of veins. Carrying important liquids to the important parts of the body, yes. Uh, and those tubes were actually vulnerable to a disease called tube wilt. It was a fungal disease, and it would rot them from the inside out. And get this, a treant could die within months from tube wilt. These things can be centuries, probably millennia old, even before they turn into a treant. And then this one disease can take them out in months. But they had a way of combating it, which were rot grubs. And they would let rot grubs enter their tubes, and they would just eat any kind of rotten wood, and it would just consume the fungus with it. That's awesome. And rot grubs are still a feature of 5th edition today. Yeah. That's yeah. that's cool. 100%. And uh, the grubs would remain inside them for good. They would live in a symbiotic relationship. They would just continue eating any other wood that would rot, even if it was nothing to do with the tube wheel. This, I think this comes straight from Elmister's Ecology. It says larger tree ants could have thousands of grubs living inside their tubes, even to the point that if a woodcutter were to chop at such a treant, they would be showered in grubs at the mere splitting of their bark. 
That is simultaneously gross and amazing. Prisoners, we're at episode three, and we've hit our first true symbiotic relationship. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so good. Uh, Tech grubs. Yeah, and I just I can't get enough of how how much this book has just dove into these ecological and biological structures. It's just it's stuff that you know when you're writing a campaign, you don't always think of. You don't always think of getting those little tiny nitty gritty details. Sometimes it's just too much to take on. Absolutely. Um, but if you do find a way to take on or, or read something like this, it does give you more ideas. Like, I'm already thinking of, you know, what happens if you encounter a treant that has two built but doesn't have access to rock grubs. Like, yeah. how do you help that guy out, you know? I mean, you find it rock grubs, I think. You <laughs> yeah. cut into a treant with rock grubs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you get different problems if you're doing that. So <laughs> That's crazy. And then it also goes on to uh, various threats um, that you wouldn't quite think of for treants, such as brush rats, who were known for digging nests underneath their trunks. Uh you're gonna love this woodchucks and wood-eating horses, and I have what the fuck written next to that. Just yep, um, who would chew and eat their bark? So my yep. dad, my dad's wife, um, oh, raises horses, mm-hmm. uh, and they specifically do not eat trees. <laughs> That's uh, yep. so so far you've you've got me. Like, so you've, I did you've a- got like Asian longhorn beetles <laughs> helping the trees out. Like you've got hunters; they're a real thing. You've got yeah. woodchucks, also a real thing. Mm-hmm. You're you're using specific types of real world trees. Yeah. I've heard of all of these types of trees. And then wood eating horses. <laughs> wood eating horses. Like why wouldn't you throw like a hippogriff in there or some shit? This like, is to me. This is almost akin to yetis knowing how to speak yeti. Like it just, it's like where does this come from? That's that's pretty good. And there was nothing else in the book that I could find with a quick search about wood eating horses. I googled wood eating horses, and all I could find were articles about people who be concerned about their domesticated horses chewing on like the fences, chewing yeah. on wood specifically, but nothing about wood eating, and in particular to the point where they would threaten. A treant? <laughs> like, these things are massive and powerful. How is that a threat? Uh, that's the one thing I really didn't understand. <laughs> we don't we don't encourage this often so far, but I feel like it's going to be a running theme going down the show. But maybe just homebrew the shit out of that. Like, yeah. just, just take that and just maybe just throw it away. <laughs> like, just don't put wood-eating horses in your campaign. Uh, but now, here's the cool thing. To combat these threats, rush rats, woodchucks, and the marvelous wood-eating horses, they would actually allow violet fungi to tap into their roots, use their sap as sustenance. And the violet fungi would just like hang out in their vicinity. And they're like human-sized mushrooms, somewhere between four and seven feet tall. And uh, the ones actually, so the one, that's the typical violet fungi. The ones they would use would only stand about three feet tall. These were like uh, the ones that you would find in Cormanthor. And they would allow up to six or so to attach them, typically maybe two to three. And it, it was a, a cool tactic because the, the violet fungi would just use their tendrils and lash out at any sort of animals coming into the city, which is a bit strange for a treant, I feel like. If they're, they must be under some serious threat from a, a booming woodchuck population to like be willing to just set these things up to attack anything that comes at them. Yeah, so they, do they attach the treants directly or the area around the treants? They, they, they attach to their roots. They tap into their roots specifically. So I, th- I think what happens is that the treant like settles down in a spot and roots in and then allows them to attach. Um, although... I do recall reading that the treants can actually move with the fungus. They can bring the fungus with them. They will travel with them in some That's way. That's so weird. Yeah. So back to the violet fungi. Do they exist in D&D still? Like the rock grubs? Are they Yeah, are I they believe so. I'm, I'm pretty sure yeah. they're on the, the fungi page. I didn't dive too far into it because it all, all it just talked about was you know their basic function. Uh, they, I believe they lash it with uh, tendrils that, that tries to... They basically rot the flesh of any creatures coming in when they when they attack them. Wow. Yeah. That is an extreme reaction to a horse that just wants a meal. <laughs> a really chewy meal. Want some necrotic damage, bitch. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, and there is actually... Uh, I recommend anyone can get their hands on Elminster's Ecology. Uh, there is a very amazingly simplistic sketch of a treant and its threats... And the violet fungus can be... It's all on page 28 of Elminster's Ecology. Okay. Um, and we'll, we'll try and find a link to that, yeah. uh, whether it's an Amazon link or an eBay link. It is just... very simple. It's kind of like laughably simple, but it gets the point across. It's pretty good. Um, among other... There's just a couple more threats to bark beetles and leaf ants, which kind of makes sense. You said some of the Asian... Longhorn beetle, yeah. Longhorn beetle, yeah. Yeah, they're an invasive species in North America for the last couple of years. They've been a real problem with the uh, 
evergreen population. Dumb bastards. Correct me on that. Yeah. Etymologist. We'll have to talk to some of our local treants and see what's up. Entomologist. Correct me on that. Entomologist. Entomologist. Is, Entomologist, is do not you fucking dare yeah. correct me on that. <laughs> uh, and um, to combat these, they would let bats and azimuths, which were a second edition deep bat, uh, to make homes in their branches. So they would just eat the bugs. Uh, and then there were black squirrels that would chew on shoot stalks. So this is very specific to the second edition lore. They specifically fed on female treants, which helped to limit treant populations. So this is confusing because there was no mention of gender or mating habits at all, other than this one spot. But these shoots apparently could become nutrients. I don't understand at all. We need to take a minute to, to break this down because I'm, I'm lost. So the only way you can make a treant is through an awakened spell. So this is no, 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 no. It's not a spell, and this is and this is five e lore specifically. A tree will awaken. Yeah. And uh, they sort of there's no circumstance uh, specified as to what creates the potential for them to awaken. But basically, it says any tree can. Okay. And, or like or maybe a select few trees have potential, but they don't tell you what select few trees those are. Do trees have gender? This is the only. Uh, I mean, like in our world, do trees have gender? I don't think so. Not that I know of. I don't think so either. Yeah. I'm no arboreolist. That's a word. Arborist. Damn it. Um, and I don't think that that is the right word. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's... Anyway, let's... Uh, but, okay. Um, yeah, it's... So any tree can awaken, but those trees are male or female. Uh, maybe, as far as I know. Uh, again, so we're, we're, this is a fifth edition, second edition. It's it, yeah. they are very uh, divided on this one for sure. Okay. Like the fifth edition is much more vague, and this one is not really much less because this is the only thing it mentions about gender. It does not specify mating habits of any kind, and it doesn't say about like actually defending themselves against these black squirrels. It, it says it actually helps limit the train population as if they could be too many. This seems to imply so. It's just a strange point. Right in with your ideas, listeners. Yeah. Um, and I, I mentioned the Awakened spell earlier, and I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit further down the line. So, uh, And then from that, uh, we're getting to the in-real-life lore, IRL. And I think we all know treants are directly inspired by Ents from Tolkien, uh, the Middle-earth and Arda mythos. Yeah, so we're not 100% sure what the legalities of talking about or using this mythos are, but this is completely an homage we defer all credit to the tolkien estate john i love your work <laughs> most of it uh some of it's a little tough but um please don't like i well i'm not we're not going to get this real very often i don't think but please don't sue us just yeah. send us a cease and desist if there's a problem and we'll just take this episode down if, it, like, if there's a problem we will reinvent ants just like gary gyax did and we will just pretend tree ants are our influence from them. Yeah, we'll just cut out every it. part where we say the word ant and replace it with the Benny Hill theme song. <laughs> In full. In full, yeah. In full. <laughs> okay, uh, so, there, so there's our, our, our tokening estate disclaimer. Disclaimer, okay, perfect. And with that, this is brought to you by Strange Fellows Milk Stout, Blackmail Milk Stout. Our favorite beverage. Definitely not actually brought to you by Strangefell's Milk Stout. Definitely not. But yet. Not yet. Yet. And uh, we need these beers right now because we like it soon. Yeah, uh, we probably won't, I think. Nah, I don't I think. I mean, it's... We're small potatoes, let's yeah, be honest. It's just tough when they have such a history of hurting people. <laughs> <laughs> no, Please don't sue some of that last bit either. Okay. Make uh, it jokes, right? Anyway, we'll just get right into it. We'll just do it. We're just going to do it. Bite the bullet and do it. Okay. Tree ants. Tree ants. Tree ants are influenced by ants. Ent um, comes specifically from the Anglo-Saxon word ent, which means giant. <laughs> uh, just just so you know. Yeah. Uh, um, probably the same root word as etten. Uh, so, oof, see that? We're going to get into that in another episode. And I promise you that. I've already given you a bit of a sneak peek on that one. There's an etymology black hole uh, when it comes to these, this stuff. Um, but I do have a couple cool little notes on the word. In Anglo-Saxon sense, um, when it was used, it really uh, would encompass a massive amount of myths and lore across the world, uh, including what you would commonly you know, call trolls and giants, and could be used for either of those. And it's possible that even Grendel from Beowulf would have been you know, 
uh, at the time referenced to as an ent. Uh, and Tolkien has specifically said that he took the word ent from two Anglo-Saxon phrases. I really don't know how to pronounce these very well, and one's got a really weird character. I think it's orsank or orthank. Or Enta gewerk, which means work of cunning giants. And the other phrase was eld enta gewerk, mean old work of giants. And that second phrase was used specifically to describe Roman ruins in the Anglo-Saxon period. So just this, obviously, it just references giant, especially in size. Now, we all know probably who Treebeard is from Lord of the Rings, and he was described by Gandalf as the oldest living Ent and oldest living being that walks Middle-earth. Uh, and he was about 14 feet tall, or 4 meters. There's an excerpt I'll read here from... Uh, That's not particularly tall. No. That's no. just a large creature. I, I think, actually, to be honest, I think above ground, the average telephone pole is about 14 feet. Okay. It's 14 to 16 or something like that. Yeah, that's that's like a large creature. Yeah. That, that might be a huge creature, but I think it's a large creature. Yeah, I can tell you in advance that these guys are huge in, in the mechanics. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so, a little excerpt from Two Towers, book two, chapter three. A large, man-like, almost troll-like figure, at least 14 foot high, very sturdy, with a tall head and hardly any neck. Whether it was clad in stuff like green and gray bark... Or whatever that was its hide was difficult to say at any rate the arms at a short distance from the trunk were not wrinkled but covered with brown smooth skin the large feet had seven toes each the lower part of the long face was covered with a sweeping gray beard bushy almost twiggy at the roots thin and mossy at the ends but at the moment the hobbits noted little but the eyes these deep eyes were now surveying them slow and solemn but very penetrating. And this is very cool to me because these guys have skin that looks like bark. They have a beard that resembles twiggy roots. And the biological makeup of an ant versus a tree ant is actually quite different. Just before we dive into that, I want to give just a quick, a really quick breakdown of sort of the importance of the, where these ants stand on the hierarchy of like the creation of the world in, of Arda and in the Tolkien universe. Basically, you have Eru Iluvatar, who's the Simbri Ping, who created uh, the Aenyor. I'm not going to know how to pronounce any of these, by the way. The Aenyor with a mere thought. The Aenyor, through what's called the music of the Aenyor, created the Earth, known as Arda. And 14 specifically of these Anyur became concerned with their creation and entered the world itself to complete its material development. These Anyur were divided up into two groups, the Valar and the Maiar, and they were the guardians of creation. And the Maiar were lesser versions of Anyur, essentially, and Gandalf himself was one of these Maiars. So very, very powerful beings. He was eventually assigned as an Astari, which is a Quenya, which is the Elvish language word for wise ones and, or wizards. Uh, by the king of the Valar. So one of the superior ones dictated that he would play the role alongside uh, Saruman and you know, Radagast and, and the two blues. Essentially... I understood none of that. <laughs> there's definitely some nerds out there probably like, you got something wrong and you're not pronouncing it right, but they definitely know what's going on. In any case, Supreme Being creates the next level Supreme Beings. that cre They create the world. They enter the world. And it's these Supreme Beings that Gandalf is a member of which I think a lot of people miss, especially if you've only really seen the films and they don't really go too deep into the book. He is extraordinarily powerful and he's not just a human with some studied magical powers. He is far beyond that. And um, Ents basically in the World of Token appeared around the same time as Elves. And basically one of the Valar requested another one to create them because she was afraid that the, when the dwarves were created by yet another uh, Valar, like she foresaw that they would fell the trees. So she requested that these creatures be created to shepherd the trees and protect them from dwarves and others. So the Ents were created by one of these, extra, like, one of these extraordinary powerful beings, the, uh, the Valar, not the Mire, one of the big ones, uh, at the behest of another. So these things are like high up there. No wonder they're ancient, no wonder they're wise and they've been around for so long. So I've, I've got two questions for you. I'm not sure if either of them are important. Mm -hmm. The first one is, so you're telling me Gandalf is an angel. More or less. Okay. Yeah. 
Second of all, do you have a source for this? Like, where where was all this? So I'm, I'm picking I'm picking pretty much all of this out of uh, just the general Wikipedia page. Okay. Um, of course, has all its own sources. A lot of this is likely coming from the Silmarillion. Uh, I don't and, remember any of that from yeah. the Silmarillion. Oh yeah, no way. Eh? So uh, I mean, maybe, maybe the Silmarillion tends to focus on the crafting of the One Ring and okay. the. Um, I've never read it, so yeah. Yeah, if I remember correctly, the formation of the four main kingdoms. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I imagine it's coming from a lot of books that were published on just Tolkien's notes in general. Yeah, that must be it. Um, yeah. So check out the Wikipedia page. We'll link that in the, the description. Um, it's a, it's a, definitely through various pages, clicking on Valar and the Anur and that sort of thing. I just read through. So yeah, it's uh, all referenced stuff uh, through the uh, official Wikipedia page. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so from there, uh, they are sentient at the time of their awakening. Um, and this word is specifically used. Uh, but when they became awakened, they did not know speech and they had to be taught by the elves. And Treebeard specifically says that elves cured them of their dumbness and it was a great gift that could not be forgotten. He also mentions the old elves wished to talk to everything. They were also individually known to shepherd types of trees and bear the resemblance of said trees. Okay, so like an avatar of the maples. Exactly, and so this is where you know their their physical makeup starts to like you know come into uh, account. Like you know they, they're looking like these specific types of trees, but they aren't themselves trees like tree ants are, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, we know we do hear about Quick Beam, uh, is a a really young and hasty ant that Treebeard uh, mentions, and he resembles and shepherded rowan trees. And rowan trees are from the rose family and are a flowering tree that blossoms from May to June. Uh, and uh, they, their palms or apples ripen from August to October. And I, I kind of thought maybe the short periods of their influence was apparent in the hastiness of quick bean. Um, they, you know, it was very specific. I, had to, I ended up looking up trees. Come on. I don't mean to push you off it, but we're, we're not a Tolkien show. <sighs> yeah. I don't think we legally could be. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Can I ring you back the tree? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we, 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 we definitely could. Uh, I think I'd like to just go through maybe just one description again. It's an excerpt and we can cut it later if we need to. Um, uh, from the Two Towers, again, it's uh, about tree, uh, tree beard, I believe. Uh, ants such as tree beard were like beech trees or oaks. Uh, there were other kinds. Some were called the chestnut, brown-skinned ants with large splay-fingered hands and short, thick legs. Some were called the ash, tall, straight, great ants with many-fingered hands and long legs. Some the fir, the tallest ants, and others the birch and the linden. And there's a lot of talk about in the in the, the Tolkien lore, but you know how how tough their 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 skin is super super tough, and it erodes stone at a rapid rate. Uh, it's vulnerable to fire and chopping axes, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, kind of a thought uh, for a debate. You know, in Five E, you'd have you know an axe would be slashing damage, but uh, but you wouldn't do a sword against a tree like that. You know, like a long sword, it probably wouldn't be effective. So there's probably a, a bit of a ground for homebrewing rules in that. And then of course we get into like. Uh, the communication events and the entmoot, and and there's a whole whole bunch of information on you know gender when it comes to ants as well, which you know we lightly touched on in elements of psychology. There's just there's so much shit in there, and there's there's female ants and how they're gone. Uh, there's trees that are like ants called huorns and huorns you know and ants that are like tree it's it's like it, it gets gnarly man it's so crazy full disclosure because i'm not sure you know this about me and just so the listeners know right away i am not a fan of tokens writing i've read the Silmarillion, the lord of the rings and the hobbit and i just do not like his work he's a brilliant guy and his his the worlds he builds are so immense and they're beautiful and they're fantastic but fuck reading about it. Oh man. It's just so much work. It is not <laughs> enjoyable to me. I think I think it's pretty relatively common opinion that Tolkien was not a great fantasy writer. He was a linguist first, I believe. Very much so. And you know, and just had these beautiful ideas that he was just, he was just telling these stories to his kids essentially as they were growing mm. up and his grandkids. He was definitely more of a poet, but not mm. in the vein of poetry that I enjoy. Yeah. I agree. I, I haven't I I've read Lord of the Rings and, and The Hobbit. I haven't gone as far as trying the Silmarillion or anything, but it's, um it's, yeah, it's, it's harder. Somehow. But I do remember there were you know parts of just him describing a land. I'm just like, okay, I've got enough of it. I've yeah, got I mean, enough. twelve pages on the field. Of Rome, like, <laughs> yeah. shut up already. Yeah, seriously, should yeah. have been a dungeon master. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it really it really dives in uh, to like so much stuff. 
you know, there's so much detail surrounding, you know, how their relationship uh, between the mortal creatures and stuff like that. And there was a separation between Ents and the Ent wives in like, you know, actual like social opinion. And then when Sauron came running through, basically the Entwives are believed to have all been slaughtered oh, in the process. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, and that's that's the the first time Sauron came through. Okay. Uh, so by the time we see, you know, uh, Frodo and entered the stuff in, in the Hobbits meeting Treebeard, um, that's all, you know, way back when still. Like the Treehands have still been kicking around since then. Yeah. Or the Ents, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. that was a couple of thousand years earlier. Yeah, something yeah. like that, yeah. Sauron's the only interesting character in that book. <laughs> Oh, I think I even have notes somewhere in here about where he sits into those uh, that hierarchy. It's it's pretty ridiculous. Like one of the Valar was. Stay tuned for a spinoff yeah. podcast. <laughs> no, God, no! I can't do it. It's too much. <laughs> so this, I think, just brings us straight to a quick chat about the differences and similarities in the war. Right away, treants are trees, specifically, whereas ants are completely separate beings meant to shepherd trees and protect them, and both obviously protecting them. And doing their best, very passionate about that, and they do, you know, live for you know centuries, probably millennia. Um, but they are ants are very much a separate creature that ends up resembling a tree, but they have their own skin, they have their own biological like ticks and that sort of thing. Yeah, I almost picture a tree ant like like an enlarged um, durigar, like like mm-hmm. a giant dark skinned stone okay. dwarf. Oh, yeah. After that that description. Oh sure, yeah okay. Uh, I feel I have to wonder if the in Elminster's ecology the specificity of like their tubes running through into important parts of the body that was influenced by the fact that ants were separate beings from trees. I think it would have to be. There's also, there is also like a, like a vein Venus system in leaves and stuff like that, mm. that, that, yeah, sure. that does that kind of thing. Mm. So I wonder if, if that's where that comes from or if it's just f- helping to further separate themselves from ants. Cause I think that was why right. this book was so in depth was mm-hmm. to really, really separate. we're not we're not stealing your shit token <laughs> like yeah um one thing's short there's no description on mating habits in either lore even when you dive into the ant wives they don't talk about how they reproduce at all i'm i'm okay with that yeah i, I mean like, i don't need that and kama sutra rule 34 it yeah like it probably exists probably exists yeah i think that's what rule 34 um, is well, uh, 5e trans do have females that can have shoots that turn into new trans, apparently. Um, but there is nothing stating that this is required to create more. Uh, it seems more likely okay. that any tree has the potential to become great and awaken, like we discussed earlier. So that's why the squirrels eat the shoots. That, yeah. And again, that's okay. the second edition lore. That's what it specifies. Right, 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 yeah. right. Um, and it's the only mention of it. And it kept their population in check, apparently. Tolkien does not describe anything about many, uh, the many habits events at all and then wives. Um, you will recall probably the Entmut from Lord of the Rings where they decided not to attack Isengard. Uh, and there is this sort of important part, I feel like, uh, when it comes to Ents and their, their, their slow, like, you know, time to them is kind of irrelevant. Everything passes, you know, so slowly and, and it doesn't really matter. So they take forever. It takes like three days to make the decision and then they decide not to go. Um, and you know the fact that trans can sit there in the in the soil for decades or centuries before they even uh, become awakened, and even then they'll still sit there for a long time. And you know, so the passage of time is just doesn't make it a huge difference to them. But I like that when they're aroused, they can really go at it, and they can really uh, with some speed. Because in that moment in Lord of the Rings, when Treebeard and the Hobbits reach Isengard, he sees how much of the the forest has been torn away. I remember he's, he says specifically, he's like, some of these trees were my friends. And he howls out. And these ants, and I think they traveled for weeks to get to Isengard, you know, yeah, from, where, like from where the ant mood was. And within moments, ants were, cl- you know, clambering out of the forest. And uh, for who knows what sort of distances and what sort of amount of time, they could move at an immense speed if they, if they really wanted to. And I thought that was really appropriate, too. Um, uh, you know, with the, you know, you don't don't fuck with the awakening of a tree in, in the 5e lore because, you know, you're going to... You're going to see what happens. Yeah, I think you'll regret awakening anything that, that is that old and that sturdy. Like, it's trees, if trees were sentient, they would be terrifying. Mm-hmm. They're beasts of creatures. It takes dozens of axe chops. Like, it, it's so hard to chop one down with a, with a, with a straight blade, with an axe, mm-hmm. something that's designed to hack away at things, that we went out and invented a gas-powered saw. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's it's just that hard. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever tried to split wood or anything like that, but it's not it's not easy. I'm not a weak no guy. Treat. Yeah. But in any case, uh that's on to mechanics for now. 
Excellent. This is where this is where I get. You've really been waiting excited. for this. Yeah, I love I love this deck. Yeah. So there isn't a huge uh, amount of crazy mechanics. Um, there is one. I have one big one, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, they are CR nine to start off. Their major stats are strength, con, and wisdom, which I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that really adds up with the lore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and subtype and size. You're looking at plant and huge. Uh, alignment is chaotic good. That's an interesting one. Yeah, I think chaotic makes sense because they're they're not really looking to care about the laws of the land of any other creatures. They don't have any laws or codes themselves other than just protect, you know, the forests. Yeah, yeah. I always forget that that's the difference between chaotic and lawful. Like, yeah. it's just either follow the rule of the law or you don't. Yeah, it's, more or less. And yeah. whether that law is, like, you know, one of the government in the city or if it's a personal code of honor, you know, those are laws that can make you lawful. But yeah, chaotic yeah. Is, is the sort of... So you could be lawful in one region and chaotic in another. Kind of, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, definitely. And that's where I think neutrality and evil kind of slips in there as yeah. well. So uh, their lang- they did though several languages, common, druidic, elvish, and sylvan. So I think it's pretty cool, the new druidic. That is an interesting mm-hmm. one. I wonder, wonder if they're the origin of the druidic language. Yeah, I don't know. It didn't say anything about that, but it, that almost would make sense, right? Maybe the elves. Maybe them and the dryad. Yeah. Maybe druidic is just a form of elvish that's been lost at time. Yeah, it could be. Um, I did note specifically here they do not have their own treant language. <laughs> I don't. So there's one up, one up on them from the Yetis. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes me feel better. I'll yeah. be able to sleep tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but Sylvan's an interesting choice. Sylvan, yeah. I mean, but uh, there was some specificity about them being ha- or them having a relationship with anything that's basically related to the Fae, uh, dryads in particular. Yeah, but um, them not being Fae creatures themselves is interesting. Yeah, I guess they would just probably keep in constant communication with creatures like that mm. at the end of the day who are, you know, basically have the same outlook on the forest. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, basic sense is like a passive perception of 13, nothing too crazy. Resistances to bludgeoning and piercing, which kind of brings me straight back to what we talked about earlier uh, with uh, slashing damage, maybe vulnerable to axes, but not necessarily swords. That's something you could definitely shop in there yourself. Yeah, I mean, something like a great sword is. So all the all the weapons in specifically the swords in D anD D are named wrong. So <laughs> what we so a great sword is is technically a long sword, and a long sword is technically an arming sword. Yeah, I'm not going to get into that here. Um, but a two handed sword is designed for slashing slash bludgeoning damage. So a great sword is designed to actually smash through armor. Right. Like they're not pokey pokey. They're not dueling. So I think right. something like that would also have the same kind of effect. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Totally fair. Uh, definitely something to play with, but realistically, keep it simple for yourselves and just go with the stats on, on the page. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> we yeah, like man. to overthink things. <laughs> That's why we're doing this podcast. That's exactly why we're here. Yeah. Um, no immunities, but typical vulnerability to fire. Yeah. Um, and uh, maybe axes. They do have a couple of traits. <laughs> <laughs> I like you just snuck that in there. <laughs> Couple of traits. Uh, they have what's called false appearance. So as long as they're standing still, they cannot. You cannot discern them from a regular tree, which I found a little bit strange, considering uh, it specifically said in the lore that even before they awaken, they start to form arms, legs, and faces. So no, can't be distinguished at all. Um, I guess maybe they can hide those features. Yeah. So I think that probably comes from like the Green Man lore, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't know too much about. But having walked through in a forest in my life, I sometimes I'll see faces and trees and things that aren't there. Sure. Yeah. Things that mimic that. So maybe it's not the fact that they're hiding. It's mm-hmm. the fact that they're playing off some sort of fae-ish yeah. charm magic where you just don't look too closely yeah. at it. Or it could be a simple, even some, maybe simpler than that when, you know, you walk through the forest and you see a tree with, you know, various knots in just the right order and shape that you, you see the resemblance of, of a visage of some kind. Uh, and maybe, you know, the awakening of a tree ant would form those when normally that tree wouldn't have if it wasn't get, uh, perceiving a potential or something like that. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking about, like, those them being in the wrong spots and the eyes being, like, not level anymore and the mouth being sideways and just goofy-looking tree ant. <laughs> that's how, I mean, that's how I picture them. <laughs> Uh, they're not pretty creatures. Majestic, maybe, but not pretty. Um, they're also siege monsters. So when uh, taking down buildings, uh, large objects, I guess. Is that a mechanic? It is a mechanic. So siege monsters, they will do double damage to objects and structures. So I would imagine things, you know, like any kind of catapults or siege equipment. But also they can siege themselves. So you're looking at tearing down castle walls or something like that. 
Uh, now I'm thinking about a wood elf druid riding one of these, <laughs> these things in a battle. <laughs> just like the hobbits. Yeah. Uh, which also, I just have to plug it again, the fact that uh, the Ents in Tolkien lore, they could erode stone. You know, with their with their their might essentially at an alarming rate, a rapid rate. So siege monster, I don't know, just the immense strength, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, let's be clear; these things are ants. They're just uh, a copyright friendly version, essentially. Yeah, just just like halflings. Yeah, just like halflings. <laughs> um, and then we get into the reactions. Uh, they have multi attack, which means they can do two slams. Uh, slam is a three d six plus six bludgeoning. That's um, not too bad for a CR9. Not too today. bad. You get two of them in a row. It's you know, it can be kind of hefty. Uh, they also have rock. Probably should be called throw rock or something, but it's literally just called rock in the book. They throw a rock, boulder, or some such. 4D10 plus 6. All right. Um, yeah, pretty solid. You see a lot um, of boulders in the woods. <laughs> loads. Loads of boulders. And we've got animate trees. This is the one mechanic that terrifies me. Okay, so tell me, talk to me about animate trees. So only, only once per day, but they can magically animate up to two nearby trees. Once per day feels like enough. Yep. The stats are the exact same as the treant, ex- with the exception of intelligence and charisma are one. They cannot speak. They can only slam. And they act as an ally to the treant. Lasts for a whole day, or until death, or until 120 feet from the treant, or the treant takes a bonus action to dismiss. And when it is finished, it tries to take root if possible. It basically can create two versions of itself extra okay. if there's trees around. So that explains why it's a It's ridiculous. <laughs> Holy yeah. shit. You can be very quickly overwhelmed by that. Imagine all of them doing two slam attacks at you, just like pommeling you. Yeah. Yeah. Because those would be CR9 creatures as well, even yeah. without the rock thrower, the yeah. animate. Holy shit. Ridiculous. That's brutal. Yeah. What's the AC on these guys? AC... Is 16 natural armor, so pretty easy to hit. The okay, other so that's not too 30 bad. foot speed, pretty average. Uh, yeah. I got their hit points pulled up here, and that's not too too bad either. 138 for a CR9 creature. Mm-hmm. Like that's These are reasonable to deal with, but like if you're dealing with three of those, you're dealing with almost 600 hit points. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Taking one down might not be too hard, but you might you might lose a, a PC or two on the way yeah. if, if it goes awry. So they've got an intelligence of 12, so that means they're going to be aware of some sort of battle tactics as well. Like, yeah, for can sure. Can you imagine these two little guys flanking you while the other one's just <laughs> hanging back, throwing rocks? Absolutely. Like, that's a quick way to take down a fighter. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh. And then from there, I mean, we talk about how the mechanics are reflected, uh, reflective of the lore. I think it's all pretty above board. Stats and resistances are in line. Vulnerability to fire, baby axes. Yeah, I, um, I don't want to be the bring, one who brings it back to token, but I think this Awakened Trees is specifically from that part of of Two Towers where Treant, uh, Treebeard yells and then... Well, no, I have a, I have a point about that because he yells out, and uh, I mean, it, uh, okay, I see the reference for sure, but those are definitely yeah, those, those are definitely okay, ends, But I, I I see this as being the way to reflect that from wherever you are, just automatically getting sure, okay, like, yeah, like teamwork. I, I I had another basic or sort of loose influence that I kind of thought in there, but Heworns were these uh, really incredible trees in the forest, and they. Uh, kind of touched on it briefly where ants would become tree-like. Heworns were trees that would become ant-like and they could communicate. Oh. Yeah. So animate trees made me think of that because they don't have the intelligence, they don't have the charisma, they don't have the ability to function on their own. Um, but here you can animate them and, and move them forward. So they reminded me of Heworns from the Tolkien, gotcha. Tolkien universe. So you can create slave trees out of regular trees. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. And I love that it touches on it, it, when it finishes, they will root if possible. Yeah. It, it just makes me think of how, what kind of circumstance... Could you get that treant into, or those those trees where you know is this treant like on your side, or you travel it? You end up traveling into the mountains, and these these trees are they're they're you know on the treant side for a full day. Yeah. But by the time that day is done, or maybe the treant dies along the way, and you're in rocky terrain, the tree those trees can't root back down, and they will die for sure. Or maybe you're sieging the second level of a castle or something like that. Right. The treant falls, and they immediately try and take root, and boom, fall over, just fall over, crush a few more enemies along the way, or party members, depending on how the dies roll. <laughs> And your hopes, uh, definitely, depending on what side of the table you're on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let's touch on the Awakened spell, because I think this is a very interesting spell in regards to how the Treant description is worded. 
Uh, so this is a fifth level transmutation. It's a, a touch spell. It's a bard or druid spell. But essentially, you can awaken a tree or a shrub or uh, something along those lines to have an intelligence score of three. Do we think that this was specifically worded under the tree ent entry to show that this spell could eventually cause a tree ant? Yeah, I, I wonder if... Uh, excuse me. Um, brought to you by Black Mouse Stout. Um, <laughs> uh, I wonder if what came first, the awakened concept for the, the tree, or the or the invention of the awakened spell. I wonder when the awakened spell entered the game and what edition. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't have that information in mm. front of me, but I like the idea of like the last sentence under the spell description is when the charm condition ends, the awakened creature chooses whether to remain friendly to you, based on how it was treated while the charm. Is that? It doesn't go away. The Awakened spell doesn't go away. It's the charm effect from the Awakened spell that goes away. Okay. Oh, right. That is interesting. Yeah. So I think I think this could be a solid, like an accidental plot hook mm -hmm. to, okay, you've now formed a treant or yeah. a blueberry ant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You awaken a blueberry bush. Rose bush ant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or, uh, or maybe it goes sour and you create something like a corpse flower. Like maybe that's what happens when the awaken ends. If you're hostile towards the treant, or if you're good, it becomes this nice, gentle treant. If you're bad, it becomes like a corpse flower or something like that. I, I think, at the very least, we can probably say it's safe to assume that one influenced the other, especially wording wise. Um, yeah, I, whichever one came first, I think it's pretty pretty evident that awaken was specifically used for both. I think so, and I, I like the idea of of this a lot. Um, and it consumes a gem worth a thousand gold pieces. So that's a, it's not a cheap spell. I mean, mm. I guess by the time you're casting fifth level spells, it's a pretty cheap spell. Mm -hmm. And it takes eight hours to cast. Eight hours? Yeah, so essentially this is a ritual spell without being a ritual spell. So you've essentially got to touch a tree for eight hours. Just fondling it. Just gem just in one hand, just rubbing the bark. Trying in to it. understand how they reproduce. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> trying to figure out how to yeah. get it to move. I don't think I could touch anything for eight hours straight. I don't think a bard could touch anything for eight hours straight, but a druid probably. Uh, uh, that's a joke. That's a joke for our pubescent listeners. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's not how I meant it. I know. <laughs> but the duration is instantaneous. That's interesting. So Okay, so you channel the spell for eight hours, and then you touch, and then it's automatically pushed into this tree. Damn. That's an interesting mechanic. I don't look at spells nearly hard, hard enough. Um, oh, there's just a lot of have so many words, though. Yeah. We're not here for words. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. We're here to listen to words. Here to listen to words, yeah. So, yeah. I, how do you feel about the Awakened spell? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's... Uh, yeah. I mean, I have. I feel like I have to read it over a couple times um, again to really like have it set in. But I think it is kind of cool. It also makes me think of how it spe specifies that the awakened trees mechanic uh, or the animate trees mechanic, those trees are specifically the ally of the treant. Um, so it's very reflective of that spell. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it, there's a lot of uh, options that you could just work with that. What size creature does it require? Huge or smaller? That's gnarly. Yeah. So that's what I'm thinking. That's why I'm thinking you can awake a treant through the, this awakened spell. Yeah. You could l at least help one along, I would imagine even. If, some, if there's one or one showing potential, imagine like you know a scenario in a game where you know there is a uh, a potential one. You come across maybe some druids, dryads, and or treants that are protecting it, and, and maybe something has gone awry. Something's gone wrong, and they can't quite figure out why. And, you know, and you have the power to help it along. Yeah. yeah. So now that you mentioned that, let's touch on what happens when a treant goes awry. So now we're actually <laughs> going to be digging into a fifth edition supplement. This is a creature called a Mandriano. It's from the Creature Codex by Cobalt Press. I love this creature. So this creature is essentially what happens when tree ants are defiled by ritual sacrifice. So if you have a tree ant and you bury a sacrificed body essentially at its base, you're going to create this Mandriano instead of a tree ant. So I thought that was just super cool. That's, that's a really interesting take on a, on a classic creature. Uh, these are also plants. These are only large, though. Uh, they're lawful evil. They have a minus two to charisma, which is choice. They're, they're not particularly big creatures. They're mm -hmm. only a CR5. Okay. Uh, and it understands common and sylvan. So it's like halfway to being a treant, mm -hmm. but it can't speak any of them like a treant can. So the the thing about the Mandriano that's really interesting, we're not going to really go into deep. This isn't going to be a two for episode. 
Uh, but they have this ability called Consume the Spark, where it grapples you, and it's a con save, or you take uh, necrotic damage. Uh, and then that reduces your maximum HP. If your maximum HP is reduced to zero, you are then reanimated as a zombie skeleton. And it can use that energy to create more Mandrianas. One of their abilities is called Never Alone, or one of their abouts is Never Alone. The skeletons. Tend to work in pairs. No, the, oh. the, the Mandrianas. Oh, okay. They're, uh, they're just a really, really cool. So if this ritual goes awry and one treant is awakened wrong... Mm-hmm. Like, I think this is a really great option if you really want to play with with that. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I recall I, I, I recall fighting this creature, and in particular, like, the buildup was, you know, was undead. And these these skeletons with the this sort of, in my head, I remember there was, like, a, an orb or something in their hand. Oh, it was in their, their chest. They're another cobalt oh, press okay. creature. Yeah. Um, I've been branching out from D&D. Oh, okay, later, I thought they were so. directly related to the Mindriana. No, no, those are just uh, really cool skeletons. Yeah. Anyway, I, yeah, it was a very dramatic fight. Or, I think we were only level four at the time, so it was a pretty hefty battle. We yeah. had a lot coming at us from all sides, and this this Bandriano just kind of came up right at our feet, essentially, from, uh, I think you had him underground <laughs> or something. Uh, there was a lot of turned it over It was soil, the tree. It, it, the, yeah, the tree. Uh, oh, it uprooted. Uprooted, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and like Undead, they're, they're resistant to Necrotic, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So they're, they definitely fall within that plant Necrotic. Yeah. Uh, plant Undead sphere. What about regular treants? Have you ever done anything with them? I've always wanted to, but I've never really found the right encounter. Yeah. I'm not even sure what their place in my world is at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think of them as like forest guardians, but I don't think they would just go to any forest. I think in my homebrew world, now that we're talking about it and I've been thinking about it throughout this whole episode, I think I've decided that they're going to guard forest that acts as portals into the Feywild mm-hmm. or the elemental plane of Earth. I haven't really decided yet. But I think I'm going to treat them as, like, venerated guardians, and that's why the sprites flock to them. That's why these fungus work for them. When the new spore druid comes out in Unearthed Arcana, I think mm-hmm. they're going to be yeah. part of that. And I'm just going to create this this ecology around the treant, but the treant is there to guard this portal into the Feywild, and it's the magic coming from the portal that awakens them. I think that's the route I'm going to take. Mm-hmm. But I haven't actually used the treant personally in combat. Yeah. What, what about you? Have you... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I uh, had a really, really obscure one um, with the, basically, you know, we had this group in Australia that we were on rails. We had limited time to finish this sort of mini campaign. And one of the creatures they had to search down for information was a character named Morris Moss. And they didn't know who Morris Moss was. And yes, that is a reference to the IT crowd. Yeah, and uh, once they found him they were already set upon by sprites essentially and there's a i won't actually dive too far into that part of it because i think eventually i'll end up doing sprites just so i can but essentially morris decided to help them uh, and was guiding them towards uh, another destination they needed but then he sensed evil in the forest and so they verged off and ended up rediscovering the old home of the druid in the party and it's just a small hovel in a clearing in the forest and this druid, we had homebrewed quite a bit around him, and he had a partial vampiric curse, and the, with the potential of becoming a full druid vampire. And it was a hell of a homebrew, and we only we only did it up to a certain level because we weren't sure how high we were going to get. But it ended up being pretty fun and pretty cool. But when we got there, they ran into a vampire, and he believes to be the vampire that you know essentially is his his progenitor's father. And there was a whole sort of standoff moment where everyone's kind of talking. No one's quite sure what to do. And this druidic vampire wants to, like, learn more. So he's asking questions. And everyone else is like, no, no, that's evil. Let's kill it. And this whole time, they've got Morris Moss at their back, this giant treant, just, like, you know, ready to go. And at this time, the vampire's way out of their league. It's probably, you know... I, I can't remember the CR, CR 11 or something? CR 9, maybe? Yeah, I think vampires are CR 9. Yeah, and these guys might have been level five at the time something so this is a threat they really want to be careful with someone ended up casting the silence spell on him to shut him oh. up yeah and a couple of people tried to swing at him but missed and i think this and then i think i recall the silence spell just activated and and the vampire said you know what fuck it <laughs> and he just went at them to my chagrin the players were kicking his ass. Oh, wow. I couldn't believe it. They were actually beating the shit out of him. Um, and I ended up creating this really flavorful scenario that was directly influenced by the Green Men from the first book in The Wheel of Time. 
Oh, okay. Uh, at the very end of that book, when they discover that two of the Forsaken have escaped, the Green Man kills one of them by, like, grabbing him. And I, if I recall correctly, he smashes him into his own, like, chest. Yeah. And was, like, beating him on the ground. And just, like, it just beats him. But, yeah, I, I re- just remember the way he had killed one of these powerful beings. It was, like, really stunning for one of these things, to, to these guys to have escaped. And the way he, he just obliterated him. But in the process, he also himself was destroyed from the immense magical power of this of this uh this forsaken and i loved that so what i ended up doing was i i basically had uh, for lack of a better word had the vampire in rage and he just started mopping the floor with everyone and they couldn't do anything it was all very dramatic flavorful and uh cinematic but eventually morris got up there and grabbed him and just started smashing him into his own chest and then i had him use the animate tree spell and they're here they are in the center of this clearing the animate trees come barreling out of the forest and just smash into uh, into Morris Moss's chest as well, and like enclosing him into a, basically a tree an, animated tree like cage, and just they just kind of clambered together and infused together and smothered the vampire, which then you know Morris Moss falls over and he just starts to like wilt and rot in front of everybody, and the vampire's no more, but then neither is the tree, and he just and it's left in the middle of this clearing is this giant dead tree essentially that's toppled over and like the players were blown away and the bard who cast the silence spell was so upset <laughs> he's like and i told him after the session he's like morris moss didn't have to die he's like what what <laughs> that was bad oh, that was very direct. that's and fantastic i actually just before we did this episode i i reached out to them to get some more tidbits version because i had forgotten anything and we just we literally spent the whole time just blaming him for <laughs> morris, morris moss's death <laughs> He's still so upset about it. That was uh, great. That's fantastic. Uh, do you have anything else about Treants for us today? That's it for me. Okay, that's going to do it for Encounter This for this week. Our episode is definitely not brought to you by the Tolkien Estate, Strangefellas Blackmail Beer. Uh, quick shout out to Brandon Sanderson for finishing the Wheel of Time series. Thank you, bro, and thank you for the elements of Cheers. Uh, that's been fantastic. Uh, I don't think we actually have a sponsor this week, but uh, this week's episode is brought to you by our new setup. We're face-to-face for the first time ever, and it's, it's been nice. It's good times. Yeah, uh, so make sure you like and rate and review us on iTunes. That helps us uh, get a little bit more exposure, brings us to the top of the chart. One of these days we'll have a Patreon. We may have told you for a fact that we had it in the last episode. I don't but uh, one of these days we'll have a Patreon and a website. Uh, right up until then, thank you for listening. Thanks, creatures. <laughs>